What is going on, everybody? Welcome into the highlight. A very, obviously, as you know, serious business show for only the most serious business people. And uh, I, I've run off my co-host. He He's left the building. Austin is not going to be here with us this week. And I, I think it's because he thinks I sound funny. So I think he thinks I can get him sick through the camera or through the microphone. I don't know. He, he believes in all that gypsy magic. I don't know. So I called my good friend and she's also my boss in some ways. And she's a friend and a client and uh, just somebody I call for advice sometimes as well. Angie Moss is going to join us and share the highlight today. Angie, how are you doing? I am wonderful, but if this is a serious business show, I think I'm on the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely said tongue-in-cheek. I, uh, I, I tried to make it serious for like five minutes in the very beginning because I take myself way too seriously. And then Austin is a great business partner to have because he balances me out, right? And he's just like, yeah, we're not going to do that. And so um, he, he likes to leave this tagline in here, and he, and he makes me say it at the beginning of every episode. So that I'm reminded that I'm not allowed to take myself too seriously. So <laughs> I love here it. we are. He sounds like well, a smart man. He well, I'm gonna edit that out. Brandon, edit that part out. We don't need Austin getting a big head while he's not here <laughs> for sure. Well, I I obviously know and love you. You've been a client for what six months or so mm -hmm. now, and we've gotten to know each other really really well. And uh, but I'd love you to just take a minute and sort of give everybody a little bit of your background. Well, uh, interestingly enough. Um, I have been coaching now for about, I don't know, 13 years um, and am currently, for the past eight years, coaching with the Southwestern Consulting Company. Um, absolutely found uh, a place that I could really expand my reach as a coach. I absolutely have a passion for coaching and have for quite a long time yeah. and, um, and found that this is just the best place. Uh, Like-minded people, tremendous set of values that we operate from and, and we're all over the world. So what better place to do it from? Right? Yeah. I, you know, as somebody that's been an entrepreneur and then worked at a large organization and then back to being an entrepreneur, I, I do love the ability. What I like about Southwestern's model is that you guys are sort of entrepreneurs on your mm -hmm. own islands, but at the same time, you have the support of a bigger team. So I think that's really, really cool. Um, it's like the best of both worlds, right? That's exactly what I think. Exactly what I think, because we don't have to get caught up in too much of the minutia. We get to focus on what we do best, mm -hmm. selling and coaching. So Yeah. yeah. And, and I, know, I know your background, obviously, a little bit differently than most people I end up having on the show. But mm -hmm. I, I really want to hone in today on, on sort of the coaching side of things and then mm -hmm. also like sort of the sales side of things. Because this is a, a – it is not a serious podcast, but, I mean, it's, it's business, right? And, yeah. and I look at business like a sport. And it, it, the mm -hmm. best athletes have coaches. But you and I have talked about this a lot. Why is there a stigma with getting a business coach? Or a sales coach or any coach. You know, um, what I believe is when coaching first became sort of a popular thing, when, when it started hitting sort of mainstream, if you will, um, it started off with a lot of companies hiring coaches for people for, uh, that weren't performing the way they need, needed to. Coaching was viewed initially as, okay, I'm going to help this person who is doing poorly get better. And so I think the original stigma came about from, um, if you're performing, you don't need a coach. So I think that certainly times have changed. I think certainly people have a greater 
uh, ability to see, okay, there is no finish line. If I'm not growing, I'm dying. I absolutely need to improve. And I think that that has changed a lot. But I, I still think that there is one stigma attached to coaching. And that is, if you are a top producer, if you are an executive who is highly motivated, you might not need coaching because you don't need accountability. There still remains this stigma that coaching is primarily accountability. Mm -hmm. um, or if you don't know specifically what you want to get better at, you can't hire a coach. And so I think those two things get in the way sometimes for people saying, I want to get better. And even if I don't know exactly what I think I want to get better at, mm -hmm. um, really opening themselves up to having a conversation with somebody to see if it would be a fit. Um, because the best of the best, they don't need necessarily accountability. They don't need mm -hmm. somebody, you know, saying you got to do this and you got to do. No, that's not what it's about. It's about perspective and it's mm -hmm. about um, just digging back into what it is that you want. Are you aligned with your values? Are your goals set? Are you moving forward? What issues are you having? How can we help you? So, yeah. Well, you've been coaching for over a decade now. So you've seen, I don't know how many, probably hundreds of clients at this point. And, yes. and I would be really curious to know, I, I, I know you as a coach have gotten better over time for sure, but oh, yeah. there's probably a through line from your clients that make a certain client worth coaching and actually uh, get the most out of it and okay. certain ones that, that don't. And so could you take a moment and just unpack like who is a good candidate for coaching and, and what do their mentality need to be and, and who should absolutely not call you and not waste your time? Yes. You know, it's so funny that you said that because I think a lot of people, um, they're not exactly sure that there is someone that's best for coaching. I think when they explore coaching, they feel like they're going to get on the call and somebody's going to give them this hard sale on how to, you know, you've got to get into coaching and all of these reasons. And the fact of the matter is, if you're talking to a really good coach, that coach needs to walk through with you what your goals are, what you think you want to get out of coaching, and then decide collectively if what you're doing as a coach is going to be a good fit for them. I think mm -hmm. that if we are talking about the ideal sort of traits of a client, um, the first one that comes to my mind is transparency. Mm. transparency. Unpack that. What, it, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, I'll give you an example. I have um, a client who came in and, and he was in the mortgage business and doing well in the mortgage business. Um, and came into coaching saying he wanted to get better. He wanted to improve his numbers. And after about two months, he came into one call because we were getting, it felt like we were just kind of going in circles and you could tell something was amiss. Um, and he came into a call and we started chatting. Like, what's actually going on here? Because something, you're not telling me something or I'm not asking them, something is amiss here. And what he said was, actually, I have another business that I really love and it's my passion and I don't want to stop doing mortgages because it I'm making a lot of money. I've become successful at it, but actually what my passion is, is I want to grow this other business. Mm -hmm. Right. And so once he did that and he was transparent with me, we've been able to four times 
the revenue in that other business while keeping his mortgage revenue pretty stable, which is really, really cool. But it's that transparency that I think some people struggle with. Some people Mm -hmm. struggle with, some people have a hard time sort of being that open and and quite honestly vulnerable to -hmm. somebody that they don't know really well. But unless you're willing to be transparent, it's hard for anybody else to be able to provide perspective for you. What what do you think, what what keeps somebody from being transparent, like to be able to go to that place? Is it, is it on the coach to sort of build the rapport and the, and the initial feelings of trust Mm -hmm. and just stay patient and, and hope the other person turns it on? Or does that person need to walk in and go, if I'm going to get the most out of this, I've got to just take the risk and put the cards on the table. You know, I wish everybody would do that right out of the gate and just commit. And (laughs) what's interesting is most people say they're going to do that right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. They know, okay, I'm paying for this. I know I want to get this result and I know this is required of me and I'm Mm going to do it. Everybody has the best intentions. Um, Does the coach have a responsibility in establishing that trust and intimacy with that client? 100%, 100%. And I think that from a coaching perspective, that comes from a place of, um, of non judgment. It comes from a place of, of really being present with that client, hearing what they're saying, what they're not saying. Um, but also greeting them where they are. So Mm -hmm. just in the same way that one client, it took him a while to sort of own up what he realized was by not owning up, I'm not really getting the value I can from this. And there are other clients that this comes from a much different place. It comes from a place of, you know, a lot of executives, Chandler, what's interesting is the higher up you go, the fewer people you have to talk to. Hmm. When you talk, when an executive is at the top of the rank, anybody that they talk to has a vested interest in their decisions. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the most valuable things that a coach can help with is with someone like that, having a perspective of somebody who is only interested in that client's best interest. I have no vested interest in any decision that any of my clients make. It's purely their decision. And I want to support them in that way. Mm -hmm. And, And I think the higher up you go, the more important that perspective is. For people. It's interesting. So it's almost the people that are doing the best in their careers from a, from a positional responsibility standpoint are the ones that need coaching the most, which is almost oxymoronic, right? Because yeah. you wouldn't think somebody at the top of the chain would need coaching because you look at them and you go, well, you've gotten where you're supposed to go. You are doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I, I feel that now if it's one of the reasons why I chose to have business partners with this, this company is because, you know, if you don't have people around you that are on the same level, um, it's hard to have real conversations with people because anybody I talk to that is gainfully employed by me or contractually employed by me, I, I don't know if they're going to give me everything I need from them. Right. I, I, I just don't know. And I, and it's a, it, it, it almost creates a feeling of isolation, right? It's a, it's a, it's a very lonely place. And you're talking about transparency. I'm sitting here thinking about that. And I'm like, man, I would be so slow to being vulnerable. And the only reason 
is that I would be hoping you'd give me some sort of magic pill before it got to the real reason. And I could just keep doing the things I wanted to be doing and my bad habits and my bad activities. And I wouldn't have to actually change and get better. Absolutely. <laughs> you were like 99% of everybody. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's good. I, I don't have to be committed. That's good. No, that's right. That's right. No, you're just like everybody else. But you know, it's another thing that's interesting about perspective. So even if we aren't talking about the top of top level executives or mm -hmm. anybody like that, what we also see is from a producer standpoint or from an employee standpoint, what happens is so often we have our managers and our leaders say, well, I'm coaching them and I'm helping them. I'll give you um, a prime example of this. I had a guy and he didn't have a boss. He was, he had his own brokerage, um, but he'd been doing his job for 25 years, 25 mm -hmm. years. He knew what he needed to do, but he came mm -hmm. into the call and he said, you know what? I need some more referral partners. You know, most of them are coming from one real estate company, whatever. And I said, yeah. And I said, do you have a list of people? Are you comfortable calling? Are you going to set your appointments? You know, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I got all that. Okay. So the next call came up and I said, okay, Carlos. Did you make your calls? How'd they go? I didn't make my calls. <laughs> and I said, okay. And I said, do you have your list in front of you? He said, yeah. And I said, okay, read one of the names off the list. And I don't know, it was Sarah, somebody, I don't know. I said, okay, so Carlos, I'm going to be Sarah. You set an appointment with me. Ring, ring. Hello, this is Sarah. You could have heard a pin drop. But ultimately, what he said to me, he said, you know, maybe I'm not quite as comfortable as I thought I was in what I should be doing and what I should be saying. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens when you have that coaching relationship between a manager and a, an employee or a producer, what happens is they don't want to admit or don't know how to admit if there is a skill gap. Right. And so they put on a show, right? Or they make excuses or they do all of these other kinds of things, right? And so I think perspective is really helpful at all levels, but it just shows up a bit differently. Yeah. Is there a is there a a benefit to like okay, we have our weaknesses, right? Is there sure. a benefit to what or actually I'm trying to think how to frame this question. We all have strengths and weaknesses, and I don't know if I really believe in strengths and weaknesses. I think we have characteristics, and depending on the situation, that mm -hmm. characteristic is either a benefit or a hindrance. Mm -hmm. um, but let's say we do the traditional strength and weakness thing just because that's sort of the accepted norm. Okay. Um, if you have a weakness, do you do you try to like improve that weakness? Do you delegate that out? Do you just become really aware of it and then delegate it out? Do you? I mean, like, how do you suggest people handle their weaknesses? So I personally believe if we have something that we consider to be a weakness that we are not good at, it is also probably something we don't like doing. I don't know many people who like doing something that they're not good at. So my perspective is let's focus on the things that we enjoy, the things that are our strengths. And depending on your position, 
let's hire people and let's delegate and let's find ways to automate those tasks that we don't enjoy doing or are not. Because if we're not good at something, we're going to spend two, three, four times longer getting it done. You know, mm-hmm. it's funny. I um, When I was in the mortgage business, I remember my coach way back um, was getting on me because back in the day, in order to send a fax, you had to get up from your desk and walk to the fax machine, right? This sounds like hell. <laughs> yeah. It, it, anyway, but he was getting on me and and because he was saying, you don't need to be doing that. I was like, oh, it only takes a second. He goes, does it really? And I said, well, sure. So I finally agreed and I said, okay, I'm not going to send any more faxes. Once I quit doing that, and I saw my assistant doing it. What I realized was, oh my gosh, she fills out the cover sheet. She says how many pages are in it. She checks to make sure it went through. <laughs> I didn't do any of that stuff. <laughs> I, I, I was just putting it in the machine and just crossing my fingers, hoping it went, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those things where could I have done it? Yeah, but it certainly wasn't the best and highest use of my time. And I certainly wasn't doing it nearly as well as the right person doing the job. What do you think stops people from being able to delegate? Because you and I have been around enough other entrepreneurs, and I even struggle with this today, about like, you know you need to delegate. You know you need to, you have the budget, which is step one. You know the task is important because it comes up every day or every other day or every week. You know it needs to get done and you know you have the budget. But still, you show up and you're like, I'll just spend five minutes doing it. No big deal. I don't want to go through the pain of delegation. Like, what stops us from delegating? Is it that? You just nailed it. You answered your own question in your question. And as a good coach, you let me do it. I like how you let... Yeah, I mean, that's really it. It really is Mm -hmm. because there is what we call a 30 times rule for delegation. Mm. All right, what is the 30 times rule? I got to take notes here. 30 times rule of delegation says it's going to take you 30 times the amount of time it takes for you to do that task to train someone to do it. Mm, Yeah. So a five minute task is going to take you 150 minutes to train someone to do it as competently as you are, right? Oh my gosh, yes. That's a, even if we don't know 30 times rule, we feel it. We just Mm -hmm. know intrinsically that this is something that takes so much time and effort. Now, that five minute task, if you do it daily, in one month, you will have already recouped your investment of time. Yeah. But it's paid for over the course of a month and not a day. Yes, yes, yes. But Mm. really what you have to start doing is really looking at that. And the other thing that I think happens is sometimes we have a hard time understanding do we have the right person in the right seat Mm. until we've invested a lot of time and money and energy into somebody. Yeah. And and go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, do you, when, when it comes to the right seat thing and the right person in the right seat, do you, are you more on the side of, you know, take your time hiring and then, you know, train and and try to teach and all the things and then let go? Like, how do you approach that when you, how do you approach getting people in the right seat? Well, I think this requires 
a collaborative effort a little bit between you and that employee. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll give you another story Um, to illustrate it. I was working with a real estate agent and she had someone that worked for her as a transaction coordinator. So she was doing a lot of the administrative things. And that person came to her and said, you know what? I think I want to get licensed. I want to be a buyer's agent, right? But I still want to do some of this other work for you. And so this real estate agent came to me and was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to pay her. I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't want to pay her too much. I don't want to pay her too little. I don't know if she's going to be good at this. I don't know. Like this real estate agent was racking her brain. She was spending so much time trying to figure out all the answers herself. I said, you know, how about you have a conversation with that person, right? Find out what it is they need, what it is they're looking for, why they're wanting to do this, have a conversation. And I will tell you in 45 minutes, they were able to outline her new job description, her new pay, everything, right? Mm. As a leader, you don't have to know all the answers sometimes. Yeah. And so I think, um, yes, you should hire slowly. I also think hiring traits instead of skills is critical. You can teach skills. You cannot teach a trait that is imperative for a seat. If you have a role that absolutely requires attention to detail, you're never going to be able to skill somebody and train somebody into that. It's just not going to happen. If you have a role that, you know, having that sense of urgency is important, you need to hire somebody that naturally has that. You cannot train that. Hmm. So I think. So you're saying a, a job description that you put up on LinkedIn should start with very brief overview of the company. Like here's what we are or here's who we are and here's what we do. Mm-hmm. And here are the traits we're looking for. Yes. And then here are the skills that would be nice to have, but like not a deal breaker. Hmm, Interesting. Do you have a story of that actually working for somebody? Yes, I absolutely do. I, um, I was working with a property management company and it was a husband and a wife and they had property management. They had sales, real estate sales. Hmm. And they had someone who was, um, running the property management. They had about a hundred doors, which is about one full-time person from a property mm-hmm. management perspective. And they had this person who quit and they knew they needed to fill this role. So we were working with them and we started talking about what are the traits? What are you going to look for? And they were really into it and they were really narrowing it all down and interviewing people. And there was a gentleman that they were just about ready to hire. He didn't have any experience, but he really fit the bill from a traits perspective. But then this resume came across their desk. And this resume was for somebody in another town over who had done the exact same job they were hiring. And they thought, oh my God, we're not going to have to train this person. This person already knows everything. Oh my gosh, this is like uh, a gift from God. We got to so hire were, this person. They, they weren't going to have to pay the 30X tax. Right. That's, mm. <laughs> right. So guess what happened? They hire this woman. Two months later, when we're checking in, how's it going? God, you know what? They said, we're not seeing any lift. We are still doing everything. Mm. So they decided to part ways. Thankfully for them, that gentleman that they had talked to had was available. 
So they hired yep. him. They hired him, and within two weeks, they were already seeing a difference in their workload. And this is a guy who didn't know anything, but he had the traits that they needed. Yeah. So it's just incredible putting the right person in the right seat based on that is is such a head start that, that you can't even catch up if you don't have it mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah, and I... I'd be interested to get your take on this too. The thing I see when I talk to other friends and even, even us here at high beam, when we're looking at delegating a new position and even bringing on a contractor is really honing in those five things that, that makes winning in this position a thing, right? Like what are the five things you've got to do to win in this position? Do people like, why do we struggle with that? Like we, we, I think we have a lot of needs as a business, but we struggle to go, I have, I'm going to hire one person or I'm going to delegate one, like, like what, what keeps us from being able to nail down a actual job description from like a, a, I I guess what I'm trying to say is you go on LinkedIn and you see these, um, job postings Mm -hmm. and it's like 10 jobs in one job. And it it's, it's insane. Like why can't we thin it out and just focus on the things that matter most? I think, um, for one, I think it's that old, you remember that old story they used to tell, like for the woman who, um, was cooking a turkey, but she would always cut it in half before she put it in the oven, you mm. know? And I know it. Why don't you go ahead and tell it for the audience? That yeah. Story. Well, and, 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 and finally somebody said, you know, mom, you've been doing this all these years, you know, why are you doing this? You know? And she mm-hmm. goes, I don't know. I just do it because my mom always did it. You know? And when she went back, she said, mom, you know what? I never did ask you why you did that. She goes, oh honey, I did that because my oven was too small. Right. So I think part of what happens is, you know, sometimes we're not making up a job. This is a job that has existed. And so we forget that we can question things. And this is, again, an area where a coach can really make a difference because there's just because someone did this role and this fit them because it fit their strengths, it fit their skill set, doesn't mean the next person that we hire needs to also be one of them, Mm -hmm. right? And I think it's the same thing. We don't have to do it the same way every time. And I think what happens in an organization where you have turnover, there are going, there's going to be attrition, And so if you're not consistently sort of evaluating who you have and what people are doing, if you are not meeting with your people on a regular basis, then I think what happens is your your people outgrow the job descriptions, whether it's they grow in different areas or they don't develop in one area and they develop, you know, a lot in another area. They just don't fit. It just Mm -hmm. no longer fits. And I think we forget to question that because it seems easier to just fill that same role moving forward. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I like that a lot. So I want to move on just a little bit. If you're a, let's say you're an entrepreneur or a business owner or an executive out there and you are looking at getting a coach for the first time, you know, I think, I think a lot of entrepreneurs sort of hit this plateau. Maybe they get to a, let's call it half a million dollars a year in business, maybe even a million dollars a year top line revenue, depending on your industry. And all of a sudden you have way more employees than you've ever had. You start to feel this pinch. You start to feel the sales plateauing. Something's changed. It's not the same. And I think if you're smart, you'll realize that you're missing a skill set or you need some help Mm -hmm. developing something. Mm -hmm. And um, I, 
I, we were talking before the we started recording here. You're talking about how the podcast gear and the internet and all this stuff it makes it all production cost very low. Like the internet has is an amazing thing. It makes it so that all of us can be business owners very very quickly. It also makes it so that everybody with a pulse and an Instagram handle can call themselves a business coach. So like, how do you actually differentiate between yourself who is like a track record and is tenured and like proven results over a long period of time and somebody that just doesn't want to get a real job and just sort of wants to try this thing about being a business coach? Um, such a great question. Such a great question. I think, um, the, the one thing I'm going to say um, that is going to be unexpected here is um, trust your gut. We all have good instincts. We all have good instincts. But I think what it requires when you have that conversation with somebody about coaching, you need to go into it being willing to ask the hard questions mm. and being able to listen to what you're saying and asking those second and third level questions. So for instance, what you said was so important because I think what most people want to know is, do you do something that is going to provide value to me? And do you have a track record? Do you have a tenure? How do I know I can trust you? And so what I think is people, that's what they're looking for, but they don't ask questions directly to that point. Mm -hmm. Right. Because we feel like we're putting somebody on the spot. We feel like um, that might be rude. We feel like people get a little bit um, nervous about being direct sometimes with people. But, you know, asking a coach, first of all, in the program that you have, is it customized or is it sort of um, a very structured program? Mm -hmm. Some people do really well with sort of a okay, you're going to do this and this and this, and that's great for them. Yeah. There are other people that need that customization. There are other people that need, especially at the higher level, executive levels, they need to know that there is some customization, that this is individualized. But the next thing they need to know, and you can ask a coach this, tell me how many clients have you guys worked with? Um, how, what kind of track record do you guys see? Do you track your results? A lot of coaching companies, and I was one before I joined Southwestern, I was a coaching company of one, right? <laughs> one. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I could tell them anecdotal stories, but I could, at that point, I had coached a few dozen folks, but I hadn't coached hundreds. And certainly at Southwestern Consulting, we've coached more than 20,000 people at this point. And so we do track those results. When we give a number of what the results are that we've gotten on average from our clients, this is a big number. This is not an average over three people <laughs> or yeah. five people. And, and I'm not dismissing the value that some of these independent people bring because I was one of them. And there are some great ones out there. But I think... What you have to do is really be okay. And if you need to write out your questions beforehand, write out the questions. But don't be afraid to ask those tough questions for you specifically. I have, quite, I have clients all the time that will say in our discovery call, they'll say, well, what is it that you think we should be working on first? Like in your mind, based on the conversation that we've just had and I've shared with you where I am, what do you think we should be tackling first? Mm -hmm. And I think that is a fantastic question 
because they get a feel for, did I understand what they just shared with me? Do I agree with what they said? And are we kind of on the same page? Is this, does this sound like we could get started and move forward together? Yeah. Helpful. Yeah, that's that's great. I uh, I like that a lot. I I do see it. I mean, you know me. I'm an internet marketer. I'm I'm making content. I'm out here, and I see it all the time. I see mm-hmm. I see everybody is an expert or a guru or knows something. And I do think there's a I like the trust your gut angle a lot because mm-hmm. I do that gives you the ability to find a maybe diamond in the rough coach that's just getting started out sure. and just really meshes well with your personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to be honest, you changed my mind because when I asked that question, my preloaded conception in my head was I wouldn't ever trust a coach that wasn't older than me or further along than me or oh. had done this a whole bunch because I, I'm just constantly afraid of being sold snake oil. And I, I, I think the trust your gut thing is interesting because I got a buddy named Patch who's a very creative artist type. Um, while I wouldn't use him as a business coach per se, I, I think he's somebody that when I have conversations with him, it is a very challenging thing. And he does make me think about things in a different light and he brings different perspectives to things. And he's in a totally different industry and space than anything I've ever done. And so there's so many cross parallels to that, that just because there's not direct data that says I've done this for you or a type of person like you specifically, there's still a ton to be learned there. I mean, you can get best practices just because they're not in the same industry as you. 100%. 100%. If you think about it, and and I love what you're saying, because if if you are looking for a mentor, Mm -hmm. then you need someone who has been where you've been so that you can go where they went. Mm -hmm. But that is not a coach. Mm. That is not a coach. That is completely different. A coach is someone who's going to challenge you, is going to provide perspective for you. A coach can have some of the characteristics as a mentor may have. For instance, at Southwestern, one of the things that we know, we know best practices for leadership. It doesn't matter if you're leading yourself, if you're leading three three people or 3,000 people, 30,000 people, the concepts, the science is the same. We know best practices for sales. It doesn't matter if you're selling windows or widgets or mortgages or houses or whatever you're selling. The concepts are the same. Mm-hmm. But a coach, the goal of a coach is to help impact someone's thinking. Impact their thinking because it is those thoughts that we carry, the beliefs that we have, the limited beliefs, the the self-talk we have in our head that is usually getting in our way. Mm. And that's not what a mentor is going to do for you necessarily. So it's a different hire, if you will. Yeah. So if you could surmise the difference of coach and mentor in like one sentence, you know, I'm going to challenge you. Can you do that for me? I think, um, I don't know. I, I think the clearest thing is to describe a mentor is they've done what you want to do, period. Mm -hmm. A coach is going to challenge your thinking. Mm. That would be the best way I could do it. I like it. Well, well, Hey, look, (laughs) I'm, I'm doing this with uh, ulterior motives. I am your, your 
your marketer on your team. And so I am going to be making this into a graphic and a social media tweet and all the things. Thank you. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I have a reason for the madness. Uh, so I, this is the, the, I, I love our show and the new thing we're doing is we have a, a key question that we ask everybody and it's sort of a, uh, it's a very hypothetical question, but I always like to ask because it takes, it takes budget off the table. And so if I could 10 X your budget and a little bit of context here, you know, Angie does a lot, um, of training specifically these days with, um, loan professionals, loan officers, and people that are new to the, uh, mortgage industry. And they're just trying to learn elevate mortgage is a great program. We'll link it up, uh, for you guys to check out if you're interested in it. But if I get 10 X, a, a loan officer's budget. Okay. Um, and you're now coaching that loan officer and they're coming to you and they're going, Angie, I just, I, I don't know what happened. We were donated. Somebody must've won this lottery that everybody's been talking about. And they just gave me money for no reason. They 10 X my budget. What would you tell them to do with that money? What a great question. Um, it's tough. Um, and, and here's the reason that I'm going to say this. Um, Having a focus on sales, sales, in my opinion, starts with the conversation. Marketing gives reason to people to have that conversation with you. Mm -hmm. So um, I think what I would say is, um, gosh, I think I would say, you need to split that money up between the investment that you make in your current referral partners and what mm -hmm. you're providing in the way of value to them. And then I would take not 50%. I would have them spend 70% there and 30% on some marketing efforts, just some, yeah. whether it's whatever that is. I am certainly not the marketing expert. But hey, well, as your marketing partner, I'm very into that. Yes. Uh, yeah. Budget increase. Call Chandler. <laughs> Call Chandler. There you go. But Yeah. But, but actually I would say 70%, I would, as a loan professor, I would say invest that into your referral partners. Yeah. Why are referral partners revenue. so important as a, as a loan officer? You know, what's, what a lot of people outside of the industry don't understand or have a really good feel for, um, you know, real estate professionals are business to consumer. They are looking for those clients that are looking to buy and sell real estate. As a loan a consultant, a loan officer, much of what you do um, is best done business to business. In other words, business to those people who are already finding those consumers. Now, it doesn't need to be 100%, not by a long shot. And it doesn't mean you don't have a business to consumer piece of what you do. Mm -hmm. But that establishing those relationships allows you to diversify the people that you're working with across different um, income, different uh, price points. Um, it allows you to um, not get caught when, for instance, homes at this price point aren't selling, but homes at this price point are. And if you only have referral partners where they're not selling, then you're going to see a tremendous dip. You know, it also allows you to even out the market. People will always buy and sell real estate. People will not always refinance. Right now, 
refinances are only done for people typically who are maybe divorcing or have a reason that is compelling um, because they're not going to take a, a 3% rate and refinance for a 7% rate. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And so if you are focused only on business to consumer, you're putting yourself in a position. There are people two years ago who were doing business hand over fist and 90% of it was refinances and that is gone now. And so you've got to have a healthy balance to your to your business, no matter what your business. And that is part of it for a loan officer. Yeah. Well, it's funny, even as a, a marketing agency, you know, Hybeam is a, is a business to business, um, platform. Mm -hmm. And even though it's, it's, it, it gets, it gets wonky because for a lot of our clients, we do business to consumer advertising. And so it's a weird flex mm -hmm. of two different muscles to have to internally think about a B2B marketing strategy and then externally for our clients go B2C. And so we have to be good at both. And it's, it's, mm -hmm. I've loved working with you because I have really honed in on this referral partner thing, because that is, that is a lesson that even if you're not in the loan officer industry as a, a referring partner, I've seen it for several B2B clients where they go, Hey, uh, accountant that has all these customers, uh, you should refer them to me. And then when I hear of somebody needing an accountant, I will yes. refer them to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is one of the best ways to build your business is referral business and creating partnerships. It's a great way to do that and cheap way to do that for social media too. It's a great way for you to provide value and exposure for this referral partner. It doesn't matter what business you're in. It yep. just allows you to do that for each other and expand your marketing efforts, expand your reach. And of course, make sure that you're doing business with people that you enjoy doing business with. In other words, you can refer someone over because you trust how they're going to treat that person that you have a relationship yeah. with. Yeah, that's a good one because uh, your reputation is on the line when you're recommending people and yeah. it, it goes both ways. And so you're not going to recommend somebody that is a, a slouch, right? They're going to be right. They're going to hear right. your, your credibility. I, the, the reason I love the 10 X question so much, and we've asked it a few times now. And so I've started to sort of dive into like why we keep asking it. And it's, it, it's the premise starts with money. It's like, I've, mm -hmm. I've made, I've taken money off the table. There's no more issue with money. And so all that left, all that's left is execution and right. effort. And what's yeah. funny is that you don't need more budget today to go out and execute and give more effort. And there's nothing stopping you from grabbing donuts and just going to talk to your referral partners if they're local or picking up the phone or, I mean, doing anything to generate those things. That's an, that's a hundred percent effort, even 100%. though it might be cool to have a bigger budget to be like, Hey, I'm going to give you uh Miami dolphin tickets right. this weekend. That's a great budget thing, but it's also a cool thing to just be like, Hey, here's a Miami dolphins meme I saw and text it to a friend. Like it's, exactly. it's the same, the same chemicals released in your brain. And exactly. one was free and one was $400. So exactly. just give exactly. the effort. I love that. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I, I got to give a little effort here and I got to do a little ad read and I'm a little nervous to do this in front of you, Angie, because two reasons, <laughs> one, you're a client. And so, you know, you might be calling me out here and I don't, I don't need you to do that live. Just remember that I can mute you at any time. And then also, uh, you're a sales professional. You've been in the sales industry. I sell, I mean, you've been a sales professional for decades. And so, yes. you know, I'm, 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 I'm not as good as you. And so we're going to see how this You're goes. You're going to nail it, Chandler. I got complete faith. You're <clears throat> in my best smoky radio guy voice. Here it is. 
We've talked about delegation today. Angie has told you the number one sin of any great organization is a lack of delegation. And so what my partner and I did was build High Beam Marketing so you could delegate your marketing. And don't go to Upwork. Don't waste time with going to LinkedIn and just asking a bunch of random people. Just go to us, and it makes everything so much simpler because, you know, that's that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, in all seriousness, though, we built High Beam Marketing because there's a lot of misinformation in marketing. We've all seen Facebook ads. We've all seen uh, everybody that comes out and is a internet guru and a, and a marketing coach, right? I mean, Angie will tell you she's seen it, and we've, we've all seen it. And you just don't know who to trust. And so if you're worried about trusting us, what I'd recommend you do is go to highbeammarketing.com, fill out the lead form, and schedule a discovery call. And then at the end of that call, you can be trusting your gut, like Angie suggests for you to do, and, and you'll know what to do after the fact. Uh, how'd I do, Angie? One out of 10. Was I there, think there you a little did. stumble in the 10. middle. 10 plus. Like you're, you nailed you're it. You're not coaching me hard enough here. I feel like I'm getting <laughs> off easy, just a little bit. Yeah, but uh, you do post things on my behalf. So see, I got to be careful here. I don't <laughs> that's want to true. I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, don't make your editor mad. Don't do it because they have the final say when it goes out. And it's just That's a bad right. Uh, so you're in Key West mm -hmm. and I got to know, uh, last question is always a fun question. And, and in transparency, I usually let Austin handle this because I do the serious nonsense. And uh, but but the one I've got is key lime pie. Where do you fall on the key lime pie fence? Yes, no. And where's the best place to get it down there? Okay, here's what I'm going to tell you. I, you actually asked a great question. I am like a key lime pie freak. I love it. But it has to be true key lime pie. There's no crap on top. There's no like whatever. No, 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 no. It is just flat out key lime pie. It's going to be yellow. It's not going to be neon green. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I didn't know this was going to be a trigger thing. This is great. <laughs> yes. No. And I will tell you, I have found the absolute best key lime pie I've ever had in my entire life at the Perry Hotel, which is in Stock Island. It is amazing. All right. Amazing. Awesome. Well, when yes. I come down to Key West to see you, we've got to go to the, the Perry yes. Island. What is it? The Perry Island Hotel? The Perry Hotel on Stock Perry. Island. That's okay. it. Perry, yep. Perry Hotel on Stock Island. And we're going to yes. get the best yellow key lime pie, even though key lime yeah. is green. Well, uh, gonna... yeah, but the inside's not. The inside of a key lime. I know. You know what happened? Some marketer said, if we make the pie match the fruit, uh -huh. people will buy more. And mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and I, I didn't realize I was talking to an actual, I don't think we've ever talked about key lime pie. I think that's actually a first time. We have never talked about Yes. We well, I, I've, I'm going to make a note in your profile here that I don't <laughs> mistakenly besmirch key lime pie going forward because I'd like to stay your marketing provider. Uh, well, I can tell everybody where to find you because that's that's my job. Uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. Angie has a TikTok. Angie has a Facebook. She has all the things because we make sure she has them all. Uh, <laughs> I do. Angie Moss. We'll link them all up. And uh, I, I – I get to work on Angie's content and we've been doing it for six months. And I will tell you that her personality, her warmth and her wisdom on all things are just, it just, it just makes it a really good follow. And I've worked on a lot of content over the last 10 years. And I will tell you that it's just very soul fulfilling to not have to like slog through something all the time. And so all these stories she tells, she does them in the content. It's great. I highly recommend you follow her and I'm biased and I don't care what you say. So <laughs> 
We appreciate you guys listening. We will see you next week. Peace.